The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce, but the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Last weekend, one person or possibly two people placed two bets against my 49ers. One, a $500,000 bet that the Giants, whom they were playing, would win by four points or more. Just if you're wondering, that didn't happen. Second bet was that Daniel Jones would throw for over 244 yards. That was $500,000. That didn't happen either. My 49ers did not have their starting quarterback, their top two running backs, four of their top five receivers, their two starting tight ends, a starting offensive lineman, four of their best five defensive backs, a starting linebacker, and four of their best defensive linemen were all out injured. The Giants thought, we're playing the cheerleaders. We're going to win. This is like us against the children of perpetual hope. It's going to be a rout. Not so much. I don't know what that says about the Giants. I'm thinking that, you know, Nevis High School could beat them then. I don't know. Um, but... They made a bad bet. They made a bad investment. They, they thought, this is a sure thing. This is a certain thing. The gods are shining down upon us. We are going to make money. And it didn't happen. In the Greek, that word would be zamian. That's the word that Paul uses here. I consider all things loss. Financial loss. Bad investment. Bad bet. Bad debt. And Paul uses that word and says, I consider all things loss. 
All things that are important to me. All things that are a sure thing. All things that are certain. All things even that define me. That make me comfortable. That make me feel like I'm better than others. I consider them all loss. In comparison to gaining Christ. And Paul even goes so far as to give us his autobiography, right? Gives us his autobiography and says, I have confidence in the flesh more than any other people. And he starts with, I was circumcised on the eighth day, meaning my parents followed the law. I did exactly, we did everything that we were supposed to do. Circumcised on the eighth day. Makes me a Jew. Secondly, he says, I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the people of the promise. I'm of the chosen people, the ones that, that God brought out of Egypt by his mighty hand. I'm part of them. And he says, not only that, I'm part of the tribe of Benjamin. Meaning that back when Solomon dies and Rehoboam is going to become king and Jeroboam, one of Solomon's servants, comes to Rehoboam and says, well, are you going to be nice to us or are you going to be mean like your daddy? And Rehoboam says, it's going to be even worse. Well, the ten northern tribes follow Jeroboam and they make their own kingdom. And the only two tribes that stick with Rehoboam are Judah and Benjamin. Paul here is saying, I can trace my lineage back to the tribe that remained loyal to the house of David. Then he says, Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning he can trace his lineage all the way back to where his great, 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 granddaddy and family were part of the exile to Babylon and came back with Ezra and Nehemiah. He's basically saying, we are the most Norwegian Lutheran you could possibly ever become. Is what he's saying. And then he says, I, when it comes to zeal for the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a fundamentalist. I've got all the right answers to all the wrong questions. I, I, I got it all correct. I've followed all the rules, including some that I've made up on my own. Not to mention that, but my zeal goes so far as that I will root out heresy. I I persecuted the church. I went after people who were not being good Jews. They were not following the religion the way I thought it was supposed to be. That's how dedicated I am to my heritage. And then finally, he says, my righteousness... I held to every single law, saying I'm perfect, which more than likely he was. And he says, all of that, I count as loss. I count it as nothing. It means nothing in comparison to the gaining of Christ, the income of Christ, the the financial blessing of Christ, the profit of Christ, gifting that to me. He says, all that other stuff, might mean something to someone else, but not to me anymore. Because it does nothing for me, he says. This last week, I had to do some work on, on my freezer. We have one of those French door refrigerators with the freezer on the bottom, and it was leaking water and having a bunch of issues, and so I had to pull it out and take off the back, and there was all this junk all over the compressor and all over the inside and everything like that, overheating. So I had to get out the vacuum and clean out all of that stuff. It was just disgusting. Ugh. And I'm hoping it fixes the problem. Well, Paul would call that stuff inside there scubula. That's the word that he uses here for rubbish. And some of you maybe have heard a sermon on this, that this is supposedly the only swear word in the Bible. It's the four-letter filth word for poop. Well, that's not true, really. It's basically the stuff that you sweep up 
on the kitchen floor that you're just going to throw away. It's the dust bunnies that are under your bed, right? It's, it's that one sock you've been holding on to in hopes that you'd find the other one. Well, maybe not that. But he's saying all of it is rubbish. He compares it, one, to a bad investment, something that he lost, that he placed all his eggs in this basket and it's become worthless. They're all tainted. And then he says, it's rubbish, it's garbage, it's worth nothing. It's not even worth the dung pile out back. Saying that whatever I considered gain is loss, is rubbish. And the biggest danger of all is that stuff his list of all those things, his heritage, his autobiography, can actually become dangerous. It can become damaging, just like that stuff was damaging the compressor in my freezer. It can become damaging. Why? Because it's that stuff, it's that list that we create that we use to judge others by. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I take this list and I go, well, Peter, you're not a very good Hebrew. Or John, oh, You don't hold to the law very well, but I do. And even worse is that when those things come under attack, whatever those things might be for us, what do we do? We go to war over those things to protect them, to fight for them, because we find those things that define us, that heritage that we hold on to, so important. Whatever those things might be, whatever those things are that basically have replaced Jesus, we'll do everything we can to protect because we think that that is where we have life, that that is where we have what it is that we need to keep going. We could give it a Christian update too, a Lutheran update, you know. I'm baptized, yeah. I wasn't baptized in the Lutheran church though, but many of you were. Probably all of you were, maybe, I don't know. Maybe some of you were even baptized in this church. Well, maybe not this church, the old church. Confirmed. I wasn't confirmed till seminary. So you have got another thing up on me. Tick. You're seeing how good you are, better than the pastor. I'll keep track of it for you. you know, maybe you know, we're the right church and the one down the road's the wrong church. We hear that from churches all the time, right? Maybe you're a council member. Maybe you help serve communion. Maybe you're Norwegian. Lutheran of the Lutherans, right? Because we know that's the, that's the chosen race. Lutheran, I'm kidding. Maybe you're a pastor. Maybe you never miss a Sunday. Maybe during Lent you come twice a week and, and, and you give up chocolate. Whatever the list might be. Or if we want to take it outside the church, look at the way that our country is going right now. Where we're basically saying, well, this group over here, this party over here, this person over here, well, they're the Christian one. And this one over here, not so much. Or this, this issue over here, oh, I, I will die on a cross for this one. But Oh, this one, not so much. Or I do all of these things, whatever that list is. And oh, you don't, oh, tisk tisk tisk. Whatever it might be. And then Paul comes to us and says, all of it's loss. All of it's a bad investment. You've put your money in the wrong place. All of it's rubbish. It's going to be thrown out. And that's actually what Jesus does with the parable here. He takes our our reading from Isaiah 5 that Cindy read, and he twists it just a little bit. There in Isaiah 5, God is speaking to Israel, and he's saying, I gave you everything. I gave you the hill, 
I picked the rock. I hoed the rose. I watered you. I cultivated you. I planted you. I expected fruit. What did I get? Wild grapes. What does that mean? Israel came to God and said, well, we like the vineyard, but we don't like you. We like the vineyard, but we don't like the vineyard owner. We don't need the vine dresser. We're going to go our own way, and things that are not cultivated, that are just left to their own thing, they become wild. So what does God say to the people of Israel? He says, okay, well, because I'm a God who gives, which is how we define God, he's the one who gives. He's a grace-filled God. He gives to us. That's what grace means, gift. He says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want, a world without me. Because that's what Isaiah 5 says, right? He pulls their hedge down and says, your vineyard's going to get trampled. Things are not going to go well for you. And Jesus takes that and he takes that parable and he twists it just a little bit and and he makes the, the religious, the tenant farmers, those who have been given a job to do, given an opportunity and an income there who have decided that they want the vineyard for themselves. That they're going to have that vineyard that is not theirs define them rather than the vineyard owner who is taking care of them. And the same thing happens to them. I wonder... How often it is that we pretend that we are the owners of something that we're not. A heritage, a thing, whatever it might be. Well then, just a few months ago, enter COVID-19 to steal away from us our rubbish, to steal away from us our loss, possibly stealing away from us things that have replaced Jesus. And it could be anything. If we want to talk about specifically in the church, what has it done? Taken away fellowship hour. It's taken away singing. It's taken away communion. It's made it so that I can't visit people that I want to visit that maybe I need to visit. Same with you. It's removed those things from us, and I wonder if maybe it's a good thing. Because maybe those things have become Jesus rather than Jesus. Because as a pastor, I was telling Mary this morning, I would just, I would give my left leg to be able to just put the hymnals out and we say, we're doing setting four. We're going to say the black, do the red, sing the hymns, have communion, do all that stuff. And we can't. Because God is maybe coming to me as pastor and saying, that stuff, that ritual, all that stuff had replaced Jesus. All the things about church that, that, that we hold on to, maybe those things have replaced Christ for us and what we need is Christ on his cross, coming to us again. Who he is, to put some things to death. When Matt Redman, uh, worship leader and, and songwriter, was the worship leader at Soul Survivor Church in Watford, England, he ended up writing a song, The Heart of Worship. Maybe some of you know it. The story behind that song is the fact that, uh, that his pastor, Mike Pavalacci, Uh, noticed that they were getting 2,000 youth at his church every Sunday. And basically he was discovering they were showing up for the show. You know, the lights, the the fog machine, the bump in music, all of those things, the energy. And Mike didn't like that. And so he said, you're all sacked. He fired Matt, he fired the band. He said, we're going to sit here in silence if we have to. 
because these things are becoming something else. These things are becoming the sacred cow, this, this golden calf of ours. And it ends up that Matt writes this song out of it. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, wanting just to bring something that is worth, something that is of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, Jesus, he says. And here Paul is telling us, maybe there's things on our list, on our autobiography that need to be killed, taken, removed from us, swept up and thrown away because we've made something else of Christ rather than who he is. And it's actually a good thing. And the reason why I'd say it's a good thing is because number one, like I said before, those things end up becoming a benchmark that we judge other people by. Maybe right now we judge some people saying, well, you should be in church, but you're not, but they're worried, they're concerned. But then also what ends up happening is that all of us will be on our deathbed one day and all our heritage, all our good works will not save us from that time. And When the light starts to fade from my eyes and I'm taking my last breath, as soon as it's gone, what do I hear but a whisper in my ear from Christ to say, arise. Because what does Paul say? I want to know the power of his resurrection and the communion of his sufferings. To know Christ, to experience him of who he is. And so I asked church, what is it of our autobiographies that need to be removed? That need to be thrown out? That need to be swept up so that Christ becomes all things for us? that we might lose all things and have him alone. Because that's what's going to end up happening. That's what he gives to us. He steals away all that stuff because he will not be thwarted. He will come back and give to us a kingdom because it's ours just as he is ours. Thanks be to God. Amen.